In the U.S. Capitol, in the House of Representatives chamber, if you look up above the doors that lead from the chamber out into the gallery, there are 23 uh, profiles. They're called relief profiles. I don't know why they're called relief profiles, but that's what they're called. And these are profiles that are images of many of the world's great law creators and keepers and givers. Uh, people that you might know, uh, like Thomas Jefferson uh, and George Mason and Napoleon. And it's interesting because out of the 23 of them, 22 of them around the sides of the uh, House of Representatives chamber, it's just one side. It's just a profile of their face. I don't know if they got the good side or the bad side. I don't think they had any say in it. But they are all facing the same direction. They're facing the 23rd, which is right in the center. And in fact, if you know anything about the U.S. House of Representatives, it's right in the center where the Speaker of the House would look up. If he looks up, it's right in the center of that chamber. And the 23rd face that you see is a face that you see straight on. And so all these other profiles are looking at this one face. And the face of that one is the face of God's man, Moses, the ultimate law giver, right? The ultimate law giver and the law keeper, Moses. And I love that because it demonstrates, it kind of illustrates, it highlights, it gives us a foundation for what a great, incredible leader, not only known in our circles, in the church circles, as a great leader, this man who, who led so many people out of bondage and out of slavery, but he's known worldwide as one of the great leaders that has ever lived. But if I'm honest with you, if we really take a look, and we will over these next five weeks at this life, he's not a guy that you would think of when you look at the circumstances of his life. This is a man who will be one day a great leader. In fact, I think you might think just the opposite. Because if we look at the life of Moses, I think what we're going to do is we're going to look at Moses and we're going to say, wait a minute, this guy was used by God. He found purpose and meaning and a mission, and he was used by God. But the circumstances of his life really kind of lead us to believe that he is unfit to be used by God. Today we're kicking off this brand new series called Unfit. We're going to be taking a look at the life of Moses and today we're going to be in Exodus chapters 1 and 2 and even a little bit in 3. So you can open your Bibles or you can open up your apps to Exodus all the way back at the beginning of the Old Testament as we dive in and take a look at this man who God used in a remarkable way. Before we dive into God's word, though, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that you are the creator. It's a subject we'll touch on here in a moment. And Father, I thank you for this man, Moses, this man who did great things for you. And Holy Spirit, as we, um, your people, listen and discover and learn and discuss this man named Moses over these next few weeks, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us to a place where we see ourselves in him, where we see our story in him. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would release many people who may be in this house, who may be listening online, watching online, whether live or down the road, 
a few days later, weeks later, who have been captivate, captivated in thinking that they're unfit because of their past. Father, I pray that you would release those bonds. And I pray that you would help them find their purpose and their mission. And God, that they would see themselves as fit to be used by you. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, I'm really glad. First of all, I just want to say I'm really glad to be back with you. Um, I have missed you guys so much. Uh, Cynthia, some of you are like, where have you been? Um, we took a sabbatical last month, uh, and uh, we, I'll tell you about that in weeks to come. God did some really cool things that I can't wait to tell you about. But I miss you guys. I'm really glad to be your pastor. And so thank you for the privilege and the honor it is to be your pastor. I love being your pastor. And it was great to get rest and refreshed. And uh, man, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to dive into these next few weeks. This is probably my favorite message series that we will do. I'm so excited about this. And God, I believe, is going to give you and he's going to give me, he's going to give us as a church, I believe, a word from his word. And so let's dive in today. Now, before we dive into the word of God, I, I want to just tell you that that Moses comes along during a period of time where the nation of Israel is going through quite a bit of darkness. We think these last two years have been dark, and I think we all can say that it was dark, right? Have these last two years just been awful, right? It has been awful, okay? But it pales in comparison to what the nation of Israel was going through during the time when Moses came onto the scene. Just to give you a little bit of a background, a few generations before Moses came onto the scene, there was a man by the name of Joseph. We have Abraham, and we have Isaac, and we have Jacob, who became Israel. His name got changed to Israel. You know, Father Abraham and all the songs that he used to sing. And along comes Joseph, who was sold by his brothers. With brothers like that, you don't need cousins. All right, so he was sold by his brothers, and uh, he ended up becoming one of the great leaders in Egypt because the Pharaoh trusted him. Even though he was sold into slavery, the Pharaoh trusted him. And so there was a period of time when the nation of Israel, who, by the way, had gone into Egypt, uh, roughly about 75 people. They had entered 70, uh, roughly 75 people. They, they entered and went to the greatest place in Egypt, right along the, the, the Nile Delta. It was a play, place called Goshen. And they went into this great place, 75 people, roughly 75 people, with a lot of influence. The pharaoh of Egypt and Joseph got along, and the pharaoh trusted Joseph. But if you fast forward a few generations later, there's a new leader in Egypt. And the new pharaoh does not trust not only the leaders of the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, but he doesn't trust them at all. And the large reason that he doesn't trust them is because he's terribly, terribly insecure because they went into Egypt, 75 people, they would exit 400 years later, about two and a half, some experts believe, maybe even three million people. They didn't have iPhones, you know what I'm saying. So anyway, that's a whole discussion for another time. But they, they really multiplied. We'll just leave it at that. Okay, so they really multiplied. Uh, and, and the problem was is that the, the new pharaoh, when Moses comes onto the scene, is terribly, terribly insecure. And so the new pharaoh decides that to control the Jewish people, that he would begin to get them to be his slaves. And they built cities They built infrastructure. 
They did hard labor, as we're going to see in a moment. And the Pharaoh did everything in his power to, to oppress the Jewish people for the sole purpose of having control. Because he was afraid that they were becoming larger in number. They were larger in number than the Egyptian people. And that if something bad went down, that they would take up arms against the Egyptian people. And so the, the problem that we see here is, is that God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And Moses comes onto the scene. And most of you know who Moses is because of Charlton Heston. How many of you would say, Charlton Heston is Moses, all right? I'm 48 years old. I'm going to be 49 soon. If you're younger than me, you probably don't know that reference, and I'm sorry. But uh, think VeggieTales. Okay, so anyway, all right. So Charlton Heston, VeggieTales. This is Moses, and he does lead a people out of Egypt. And we're going to get to that in a few weeks. But we need to understand what was going on with the nation of Israel and the problem that was going on because Moses came onto the scene in a very very, very difficult, dark time for Israel. The Jewish people were going through unimaginable pain, unimaginable pain. And so Moses began, uh, he comes onto the scene in this time frame, and you can take his life and kind of divide it into three segments. He lived for 120 years. I'm turning 49 soon, and I'm like, Oh, please, Lord, don't let me live that long. All right, so he lived for 120 years, and you can take those, uh, his whole life and kind of divide it into sections of 43 equal parts of, of 40 years. And we're going to take a look at some details of the two, last two-thirds of his life over these next few weeks. But today we're looking at those first 40 years of his life. Um, and I promise you'll get to lunch on time, okay? It's not going to be that long. All right, so, but Moses um, is born into this horrible time, this terrible time in the land of Egypt, and he is born into it. But I want you to know that God decided to use Moses despite the circumstances surrounding his birth. It's the first point today. God used Moses despite the circumstances surrounding his birth. It's the first point because I want you to have this sink in, that the circumstances surrounding Moses' very existence were extraordinarily difficult. I want you to understand that this was... This was someone who shouldn't have been born. He shouldn't have even been brought into this world, given the circumstances that were going on the year that he was born. It's his story of origin. And God used Moses despite that story of origin surrounding his birth. Let's check this out in Exodus chapter 1. I want to read verses 8 through 16 right now. Exodus chapter 1, 8 through 16. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and I'm going, multiply, they already have, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for the Pharaoh, built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread. They were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. 
and made their lives bitter with hard work in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra and the other Puah, when you, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall, what's that next word? Kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. See, this was Pharaoh's way of controlling. Now we're talking about infanticide. This is, this is the Pharaoh going to the extreme and killing the sons that are born to try to suppress the Jewish people to try to control the population and to control the people. Exodus 1.22. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast in the Nile. This is like, I guess, the backup plan. Anyway, but you shall let every daughter live. Exodus 2.1-3. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. These are two Jewish people and they're married. The woman conceived and bore a son and when she saw that he was a fine child, listen, I would love to go back to 1973 and ask my mom if she described me as a fine child. Todd was born. He is a fine child. Wouldn't that be a great way to describe you, right? Okay, isn't that cool? I love that. It's awesome. The woman conceived bore a son. And when she saw, I don't think they called me a fine child. My dad said I was ugly. Anyway, she hid him three months uh, he said I was like a, uh, a rotten prune. Okay, so anyway, verse 3. Uh, <laughs> when she, I don't know why I just thought of that. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with uh, bitumen and pitch. You can find those at Home Depot or, or Lowe's. Okay. She put the child in and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Okay, so here's this one who's been uh, born, and he's a fine child. There's something different about him, and so the parents want to, to protect him, and so they protect him. They hid for three months. They hid for three months. Can you imagine hiding a baby who cried and probably wailed? It was noisy and loud. They tried to hide him for three months because they were in fear that someone would take him and throw him in the Nile River or have him killed, which both are the same thing. And so they hid. They took him away in secret. And then they took him and put him in a basket, put him in bulrushes and made this basket that would float down the Nile River. And so we all kind of have a picture of how that went. And this one whose name was Moses, we'll see that in a moment. His sister followed along, we'll see that in a moment. But, but I want you to capture this. Listen, church, I want you to capture this, that the one that was used by God in such a remarkable way, the great lawgiver, the one that went up to Mount Sinai, we're going to get to that in a few weeks. We're going to get all these things in a few weeks. He was the one that God used in a, such a remarkable way, should not have even been born. Or if he was born, he would have been killed immediately. He wasn't supposed to be. This is the man who all of those profiles are looking at him. The speaker of the house, if he looks up, he sees the profile of this man named Moses. This is a man who became great by every standard. He became great by the world's standards, by our standards, by God's standards. He became a great man, but he wasn't even supposed to be. 
the circumstances to which Moses was born into were extraordinarily difficult. And this story of Moses' origin tells us, I believe, something about God and who he will use. He will use those who were born into desperate situations. Listen, I want you to hear that again. He, he will use those of you who were born into desperate situations. His story of origin doesn't seem to lend itself to someone who has greatness, but I want you to hear that how it all began does not determine how it all goes or how it all ends. How it all began does not determine how it all goes and how it all ends. God can change that. See, who you came from doesn't determine who you're going to become. What you came into does not determine, determine what you will be going into. Where you came from does not determine where you are going. God used Moses despite the circumstances surrounding his death, and he can do the same for you. Listen, listen, listen. You are not unfit to be used by God because of the circumstances surrounding your birth. Maybe you weren't even supposed to be in that great hand, the providential hand of God was on your life and you were brought into this world and I want you to hear that you were brought into this world for a purpose and for a mission and for a reason. And the very fact that you were brought into this world means that God loves you. He wants to use you in a remarkable way. And in fact, not only are you not unfit to be used by God because of the difficult circumstances surrounding your birth, but God very well may use those circumstances that you were born into to be used by him in a unique way. He may take that very thing that you think when you think of the circumstances that you were born into, he may take that and he may use it for his good, for, for, for your good and for his glory. He does not waste one life. And we buy into this thing that we're unfit because of what we were born into. And the psalmist says in Psalm 139, 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you because you're, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. Listen, I want you to hear today that the psalmist is not bragging about himself. He's not bragging about the creation. He's bragging about the creator. And that's what we should do, Christ follower. That's what you should do. That's what I should do. We shouldn't take pride in who we are because of who we are. We should take pride and have confidence in who we are because we are who God has made us. I hated the moment when my kids came into the room after learning in school about history and timelines, and they walked into our house, and they were like, Mom and Dad, you were born in the 1900s. I was like, please don't ever say that again. And they say it all the time now just to have fun with us because I'm feeling old, right? So anyway, so, uh, and, and I told them, I said, you, you know, 1973, like over about, I don't know, 50 years like, that was one of the worst years ever to be born. That was a bad year. And I'm not going to go into all the reasons why it was a bad year, but it was a bad year until two years ago. 
we've had some bad ones ever since, right? I mean, it is what it is. Maybe you were born into a time and into a circumstance and into a situation that was awful. You are his work of art. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, he says this, we are his workmanship. Workmanship. We are his workmanship. That word in the original language, in the Greek language, the word is poema. And guess what word, English word, we get from that? Poem. You are his work of art. I am his work of art. We are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. He knew it all beforehand that we should walk in them. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And for some of you who are listening or watching or here in the house, you may be holding on to that circumstance that surrounded your birth that you believe marked your future forever. It does not have to. Mark your future forever. God can change that. He can change that. The second thing, God used Moses, not only despite the circumstances surrounding his birth, but despite the turmoil of his upbringing. I mean, we think of Moses as, you know, as the uh, uh, prince of Egypt, right? And I don't know about you, but when I think of the prince of Egypt, I think of someone who was in the king's court, right? And who had all, you know, all the luxuries of the king's court, kind of born with a, a silver spoon in his mouth. But I want you to capture this idea that Moses was born a Jew and raised in an Egyptian home. Check this out, Exodus 2, 3 through 10. Check this out. When she could hide him no longer... We talked about this. She took from him a basket, made it of bulrushes, and daubed it with uh, bitmen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Check this out. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done with him. Have you ever thought about a baby in a basket floating down the Nile River for a period of time? Somebody had to take care of it, right? Moses' sister was there. That was a good sister. She was watching over him. She was looking out for him. She probably had to take him out to clean him every once in a while. <laughs> Verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, I love this. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. We don't think of this mighty leader named Moses crying, but he did, just like we all did when we were babies. She took pity on him, and she said, this, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Remember what had just happened? Many male child, uh, boy children were being killed. And so there were a lot of mamas that were candidates to help nurse the child. Pharaoh's daughters said to her, go. And the, the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, which is not a Hebrew name. It's an Egyptian name because she said, I drew him out 
of the water. Moses didn't have this this necessarily life of luxury. I I would imagine that he probably was was pulled apart by the fact that he was Jewish and growing up in an Egyptian home. I would imagine that he probably, in middle school and maybe even a little bit in high school, probably struggled to find his identity. Who am I? Do you remember middle school, adults? You remember how difficult it was? Do you remember middle school? Middle school's not fun, right? It's just not. It's a very difficult time in most kids' lives. And here's Moses in middle school and high school and growing up, and we get to him in a minute when he's 40 years old, but I'm sure there were some struggles, some of the same struggles that you and I had, some of the same struggles that you and I have. And there's Moses growing up, trying to figure things out, trying to figure out who he is. I'm sure it was topsy-turvy. My guess is is that there's more than one of you that grew up in a home that was beyond topsy-turvy, beyond chaotic. Maybe the home that you grew up in was, was broken and split apart. Maybe your home was broken multiple times. Maybe you felt stretched. Maybe you felt this tension the tension between mom and dad, and maybe some of you knew your mom and dad, and maybe some of you didn't know one or maybe even both of them. And maybe that has hung on with you for a long time. And it's kept you from being all that you can be in terms of your mission and your purpose for God. And I want you to know that he views you as his amazing work of art, regardless of what kind of home you grew up in. He loves you, and he cares for you. He's the best father that you could ever have. And he can bring peace out of your chaotic upbringing. 1 Corinthians 14, says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of, you can say it with me, but of what? Of peace. He's a God of peace. And he can bring peace into the situation that you may find yourself in today or that you had when you were growing up. Where the impressions that were made on you were not of God. There were things that were damaging to you and to others around you. He can change that. Listen, church, he can redeem that. You're not unfit to be used by God because of your upbringing. And in fact, he may use the the chaos and the confusion and that, you know, uh, confusion, confused household that you grew up in. He may very well use that in your life to help other people. You're not unfit to be used by God because of your upbringing. God can restore the turmoil of your back then and reposition you on a purposeful path right now. Now, my question to you today is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Will you accept that, that he can change it? That there may not be anything that you can do to change that household that you came from, the chaos that you may have come from, but he can change you to a position where you find your mission and you find your purpose and you're used by God. And thirdly, (laughs) this is the one that hits home for me. God 
used Moses despite his mistakes. God used Moses despite his mistakes. How many of you have ever made a mistake in life? All right, I'm just seeing if you're awake. All right, so let's dive in. Exodus, as we finish here today, Exodus chapter 2, 11 through 15. One day, Moses, we find him, he's about 40 years old. He's at the end of that first phase, that first kind of uh, segment of his life, those first 40 years. One day, verse 11, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens, his people meaning the Jewish people, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. I just want to stop here. What would you have done? What would you have done? Okay, just think about that. Verse 12. He looked this way and that. Okay, hang on. Let's stop there for a second. Um, Anytime that you and I are looking this way and that, trouble has either happened or we're about ready to do something that's going to get us in trouble. Am I right? He looked this way and that. He looked around to see if anybody would see him. I, I, years ago, it was about 10 years ago, I was blowing leaves off my roof, and it was a little more wet than I thought, and I slipped, it was the day after Christmas, I slipped off my roof. I dropped the blower, it slid down, and then I slid down after it, and I landed like that, and I kind of went down on the ground, and I popped up, and I'm like, oh, I hope Cynthia didn't see that. She's gonna kill me. She told me not to get up there anymore. And then I stuck the landing, and I'm like, did anybody see that? That was pretty good. I wish she'd been out here to see that. That was pretty good. Like looking this way and that way. We know what's about ready to happen. It's not going to be good. He struck down the Egyptian. And he hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. By the way, at this point in time, Moses believes he had gotten away with this, let's call it what, is it what it is. It's not a mistake. It was a murder, right? We all agreed that's what happened. He murdered a guy. Maybe it was justified, but he became the judge, the jury, and the executioner right there. And he thought he got away with it. He sees the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. A lot of struggles there in Egypt. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And this man answered, and this answer is so interesting. Who made you a prince and judge over us? Did you mean to kill as you killed the Egyptian? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. This is like great true crime podcast material, right? This This is like the stuff that you see on TV all the time that everybody's interested in that's horrible. Okay, so then Moses was afraid, and he thought, surely the thing is known. Oh, it was known, all right. Look at verse 15. When Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. How many times do we see people in Scripture, we see people in Scripture who are in trouble sitting down under a tree or by a well because their lives have just been turned upside down. Listen, I want you to hear, this is, this is something that hit me so heavy. We aren't, our future is not determined by our mistakes. Our future does not have to be determined by the stuff that we did in our past. 
that has ruined our lives and the lives of others. We sometimes believe, this is probably the biggest one, we believe that those decisions that we made yesterday makes us unfit or unworthy or somehow unqualified to be used by God to find our purpose and our mission, and nothing could be further from the truth. This happened when Moses was 40. The rest of his life is being used by God in one remarkable way after another. Caveat. The decisions we make yesterday have earthly consequences. They do. We're going to get to that in a few weeks because Moses made a few of those huge, huge decisions that had massive earthly consequences. But that does not mean that God cannot redeem our past. And I am so thankful that he can redeem our past The psalmist once again wrote in Psalm 103, verse 12, he said, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he, God, remove our transgressions from us. I love geography, and I love the fact that as far as the east is from the west is really far. (laughs) Listen, you are not unfit to be used by God because of your past mistakes. Yes, there may be discipline. Yes, there may be consequences. But that does not mean that God cannot still use you. Listen, Christ follower. One poor decision yesterday does not determine our being uh, used for a reason tomorrow. It doesn't change it. God can still use us. He may use us in a different way. Maybe some things we, God doesn't allow us to do or see. We'll get to that in a few weeks. I keep saying that. But God can still use you and me. Even though we've made some terrible mistakes yesterday. Listen, your, your, your point of origin, your birth, the circumstances surrounding that, your upbringing, the circumstances that shaped you, the mistakes that you have made, do you believe that God can redeem all of that? For some of you, those three things may be keeping you from being a Moses for your people. Hanging on to the past for you may be the only thing that is keeping you from from leading the people that are closest to you, to their promised land. It may be the thing that keeps coming up that you think, I can't do that. I'm not worthy of that. I have been disqualified for this. It's time, church, to let it go. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing the song. It's time for us to open up our hands, to let go of the past and allow God's grace and allow his redemption to cover those things so that we can be used by him. Would you pray with me? God, I just, right now, in the strong name of Jesus, I just pray for those of us who are here in the house, those who may be listening, whether it's live or some other time down the road, 
for those of us who may have maybe hanging on to, to some of the, the pain, the trauma, some of the um, insecurity that we have from yesterday. Maybe it has something to do with the people that surrounded our growing up. Maybe it had to do with the, the situation that we got thrown into in this world. Maybe it has to do with a mistake that we made. It had dire consequences. Some sort of sin that we had that caused all kind of problems. And Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would release us. God, would you release us from the bondage of the past? Release us from the harm that came in our yesterday so that we can find fulfillment and purpose and mission and meaning tomorrow, today. If you're here in this place or you're watching or listening and you've got something that you've been hanging on to and it is a lid, it is a ceiling, it's time to let that go. I want you to realize that when, when Christ came to this world and died, he died for that thing that you're holding on to. Every moment that you hang on to it a little bit longer, you just take a little, little bit of the, the beauty of what he did for you away. Take away from the creator who created you when you hold on to the stuff in the past that makes you feel unfit and unqualified to be on mission, to be on purpose to be used by God. You are not unfit. And Father God, in the strong name of Jesus, would you release us from those things? Help us to have a desire to follow you, to allow you to repair and reshape and redeem the stuff of yesterday. And God, over these next few weeks, may we learn what it means to come into our own to who we are created in your image and be used by you. Father, thank you for Moses. With all of his failures, with all of his flaws, the most highly unlikely person to be used by you, used in a great way, and you can do it with us. Help us to realize that and to see it in our lives every day. In your name we pray, and all God's people said.